0: This podcast is brought to you by the Baton Rouge Area Foundation, your community foundation, which is focused on one simple goal, to help philanthropists pursue their causes for bettering the lives of people in Louisiana. Welcome to another episode of The Pod. I'm your host, Chris Meyer, and today we're excited to welcome in Laura Tuggle, the executive director of the Southeast Louisiana Legal Services, a nonprofit organization that's focused on providing free civil legal aid to low income communities across 22 parishes in Southeast Louisiana. Since 2018, Southeast Louisiana Legal Services has provided free legal advice and representation to over 25,000 people, and their work has generated more than 69 billion in social return on investment. Keep listening to learn more about the work that Laura and her team are spearheading. Laura, welcome to the pod. Thank you so much for having me, Chris. So I'm really excited to dive into this conversation, learning more about the Southeast Louisiana Legal Services and how you got started. Before we kind of get into your background, what what's the most important thing you want people to know about the Southeast Louisiana Legal Services?
1: We provide life-changing work and a really wide variety of everyday life problems that face vulnerable communities. Everything from helping a grandmother Raise a grandchild and get custody when something has happened to the mm. parents in that child's life. Helping domestic violence victims get safety and protections from abusers. Helping communities recover from disaster by doing air property work. And just a really wide range of things that kind of impact people every day.
0: Now, you first joined the organization in 1993. Yes. Right? So you were you were working as a staff attorney there and then after Hurricane Katrina you took on a pretty large role in the organization specifically focused on the housing work. How did Hurricane Katrina impact the work of the organization and your personal mission?
1: It was really a, a game changer for for everybody. For me personally, I was a lowly staff attorney at that time. Um, doing primarily landlord-tenant work, and uh, in the wake of Katrina, I was the only one on our team that was able to return uh, after about six months and was able to get back home. So I became the manager of uh, what came to be a really growing uh, cadre of attorneys. A lot of additional resources came in, and if you know anything about hurricanes and the way they impact communities, huge impacts on housing. And so that was really a turning point, I think, both for our organization and for me personally, when we also really started looking at public policies to promote equitable recovery and not just sort of the one-on-one casework. And then, unfortunately, uh, legal aid and um, disasters you may not think about them going hand in hand, but they really do. And it has become, for lack of a better word, a real growth industry because we've had Katrina and Rita and Gustav and Ike and Isaac and Ida and floods in 2016 and other hurricanes, Laura. I can't even remember all of them now. But we have probably had at least 15 pretty catastrophic events since that time and when you go to law school believe me (laughs) at at least at the time i went they you know they don't teach you about what is fema and what is disaster law and how it really impacts folks for a very long period of time
0: well and and to your point i mean a lot of those laws are constantly evolving after storms i mean katrina sort of reset the entire way we thought about federal emergency management maybe describe what, what are some of those challenges after a storm in providing legal aid to to folks that may not be able to afford it?
1: Well, we had an eye-opener um, in the wake of Katrina. Pre-Katrina, we did not do heir property cases or succession or help people resolve title issues like with inherited property, mm-hmm. sort of the grandma's house problem. And I think it was sort of a national trend with many other legal aids in the country, really looking at that kind of work as dealing with assets or dealing with money. But when you talk about folks that are low income and even folks that are, are not low income, that home is usually your biggest asset. Mm-hmm. And trying to maintain that home is – is one of our biggest priorities, helping people keep their housing, whether it's rental or home ownership. And so we had this aha moment when we realized it probably costs about $2,500 to do a basic succession with fees and paying an attorney and just the time for that. And the clients we serve could never afford that. And so legal aid wasn't doing it. And there certainly weren't enough pro bono attorneys to do that kind of work. And folks couldn't hire private attorneys. So we quickly realized we're going to have to jump in and start doing this work. It's really important because you have to be able to prove you own a home generally to access insurance proceeds, to access rebuilding funds, to get Road Home or Louisiana Restore funding, to even make a loan um, from the bank. So we... Had a turnaround in our thinking about that, and that has really become work that we know right away when disaster strikes, we're going to have to mount up um, some tidal clearing projects. And BRAF was really essential to the work we did uh, in the wake of the floods in 2016 in the Baton Rouge area.
0: Um, What was the scale to describe for our listeners, the scale of the the work we did following the 2016 floods?
1: We focused the tidal clearing work really in three main parishes, in East Baton Rouge, Ascension, and Livingston. And because we really drew on that, Katrina experience that we'd had we were able to pretty quickly mount up with resources from BRAF a project where we were pulled in resources also from Southern University Law Center, LSU, and also our partners at the Baton Rouge Bar Association. And we were able to bring in some law school resources, some clinics, students, and also volunteer attorneys. And we kind of divvied up the work. Um, There are some cases that are more appropriate for a legal aid person that's a staff you know really kind of messier situations and then some cases that might be more appropriate for a volunteer or a, a law student or a clinic student to work with us on and over the two plus years that we did that project with graph with funding and also funding from the Kellogg Foundation uh, we help folks preserve their homes or get assets of over $9 million in about 350 cases or so. So a really big impact um, for the community. And that's what we call, we track what we call direct economic impact. So, you know, we, we, if we know that we help someone get, you know, a $50,000 rebuilding grant, or preserve equity in their home of sixty thousand dollars or whatever the situation may be that's something that we track in our our records. Our second largest funder, the Louisiana Bar Foundation, every every other year or so they do an economic impact study and they we give them our data they get data from other programs, and they hire somebody who's way smarter than me to do economic and statistical analysis. And I can tell you that the study they released last year found that for every dollar that's invested in civil legal aid programs like ours, there's $9.18 of social return on investment to local communities. So that might be... Examples like our domestic violence work, for example, that may help save in law enforcement costs or court costs, even hospitalization costs. Sometimes, same thing with our, you know, our disaster work. It can really help put money back into the community. So I know it's a pretty great investment. I know in my heart, uh, in my soul, that it's something I love to do every day. But I also know that it makes a lot of sense economically too.
0: Well, the number we teased in the in the opener, the sixty nine billion, as you're describing now how you, you get to that math is eye-popping.
1: Yeah, I always have to double check and make sure that I'm saying something that's 100% accurate.
0: <laughs> so let's sort of bring it forward in steady state. What What is the need? Um, so when you think about this kind of return and this kind of impact we can have to put more money back in the hands of, of people who own property or whose family did that that can be a real economic boom maybe it's um you know taking clearing titles so we can get to a place that we remove blotted property and you know can actually do something with it what how do y'all size up the need for your support in in your help in in our community
1: Um, I can point to a couple of things. I mean, there's a national study that the Legal Services Corporation, they're our largest single funder, and they did a national study that they released earlier this year. And they found that in any given year, 92% of Americans have an unmet need for civil legal assistance in some form or fashion. 92% but frequently folks can't access services just because the demand is is so high. There's been studies that track like how many people we can't fully serve, or sometimes we might have to turn someone away for, you know, just because of a capacity issue. And sometimes that happens almost 50% of the time. So there is this enormous need um, out there. And sometimes folks don't find their way to us. because we we don't do enough programs like this We don't really, we put all of our money in direct services. We don't do very much advertising. So in some ways, we're a little bit like a best-kept secret, I think. But we definitely have a role to play in being part of the solution to so many different problems that, that are in our communities, whether it's fighting blight, whether it's helping protect seniors, whether it's helping veterans get restabilized once they, you know, return to civilian life, helping those grandmothers stabilize uh grandchildren when situations happen uh in their families just a really wide range of different things that we're involved in every day
0: the typical person that may find their way to you walk us through maybe what their experience would be like with with you and your your team of nearly what three dozen people right
1: well here in baton rouge yes i will say that we've we've been in this growth spurt uh across our 22 pairs service area in the wake of covid Um, We had just hit 100 staff. We have six offices, Baton Rouge, New Orleans, Gretna, Harvey, Hammond, and HOMA, and an outreach location in St. Charles Parish. And pre-COVID, we had just hit 100 staff. Right now, we're at 162. Wow. We've had a very dramatic, fast growth. And a lot of it is driven by the pandemic. And anytime there's a disaster, whether it's man-made, natural, a pandemic, bad things happen to struggling families. They get really hard hit economically. um, And there's all kinds of ripple effects whenever there's a a big disaster. And we were really already in deep response to COVID. And then here comes Hurricane Laura and. Some other ones, I don't even remember the name, Zeta, Delta. I think there were three in 2020. More minimal impacts in this part of the state. Uh, But in 2021, Hurricane Ida hit, and that was the fifth costliest disaster from a hurricane in U.S. history. But there are so many now, it hits the news and national news, and then it's gone. Uh, But we're still dealing with the long-term impacts here. Believe it or not, we're still getting cases from Hurricane Katrina. (laughs) (laughs) where FEMA has decided we shouldn't have given you that grant that we gave you. We want to recoup it. Uh, so we, the recoupment cases have started from Ida. We still get a few from Katrina. So there's this really long tail. And when you're thinking about disaster and all the urgent needs that that brings up, which often will last three to five years, sometimes 10, but the everyday situation in Louisiana We have one of the highest poverty rates in the United States. I was just, we just had our 10 year anniversary of being in the Baton Rouge area earlier today. And uh, one of our funders and I had not, realize this, said that last year, Louisiana actually became the state with the highest amount of children in childhood poverty and the highest poverty rate in the nation. I knew we were second, uh, but now apparently we, we've moved into first, and that's not a first to be proud of. Right. So we will definitely still keep on doing what we're doing, and we're very grateful to Brad for all the support they have given us
0: you, you took some time after the the Katrina experience where you actually went into the government side working in the uh, yeah, housing authority in, <laughs> in New Orleans, not trying to create any <laughs> uh, uh, bad memories maybe but but I do wonder I mean that perspective of being both an advocate on the outside, working with people that are impacted, and then going on the inside of working in government. I had some experience doing that as well. It really shapes how you think about solutions and what do we need in our community to move it forward. I wonder from that and now your your time back being the executive director here, what's sort of missing? What are the gaps at a high level that are missing in in our communities and and helping to sort of um, move these title issues and other legal issues along?
1: I think one, you know, one primary gap is just everybody needs to get that aha moment like we had. Hmm. You know, if it took us that long to get it, I I think um, it's definitely taking government a little bit longer to see it, but it is happening. I can tell you that in the past two years, I've seen a lot more movement on both the government side and in the philanthropic community and the banking industry, private industry realizing we need to pay attention to this. This is a real problem in our communities. Uh, Whether it's blight prevention, if you have a home, that can't rebuild and others have rebuilt on that block, it's going to create a problem for that right. block. Other people may not come back and reinvest if, if, if there's uh, other problems in that community. It can lead to long-term uh, distressed communities. So I do think that recognizing that problem, that trend we are starting to see start to turn. Uh, we are seeing the U.S. Department of Agriculture actually has recognized this is a huge problem for black farmers in the South and has set aside some funding to try to do title clearing issues for farmers. That took a really long time, but that is something that's beginning to happen. The Federal Reserve Bank and the Dallas Home Loan Bank recently released some funding around air property issues. We have an application in. I don't know what will happen. (laughs) Um, And Wells Fargo who really stepped up to the plate and funded some of our eviction defense work after COVID, uh, was, was learning about this being a real issue. And I'm... Um think i'm allowed to say this i don't know if they've announced it yet so there may or may not be <laughs> some additional funding coming soon uh, in the baton rouge area to, from wells fargo to really look at air property issues um, so i do think from the government perspective that partnership that collaboration that yes we may not always be on the same page but when you're talking about helping low-income communities or just helping stabilize communities in general we're really all in this together, so I do think that not only the recognition of the issue, but like who is best situated to solve it. Right. You know, government can't do everything; we can't do everything ourselves. You know, we really have to have that partnership and that collaboration.
0: There are there are three um, really interesting projects that that you have now that that are in the works. Um, I wonder if you could talk about each of them a little bit. The, the first is the the air property project.
1: Okay. So we were really fortunate to get some funding from the Wilson Foundation and maybe someone else who I may have already mentioned. And um and then BRAF has really helped us out with some additional funding as well to help stabilize communities impacted by disaster. Uh, and in the Baton Rouge area we're really going to be taking on two initiatives. One we are partnering with um really looking at the North Baton Rouge Area, and we were teaming up with Southern University Law Center in their new Air Property Initiative, mm-hmm. and also we are teaming up with three local organizations, nonprofits that help real be- rebuild or build homes: Rebuilding Together Baton Rouge, Uric, and Habitat for Humanity Baton Rouge, um, and. We're going to be working very close with those three groups so that they can refer their clients um, and that we can really concentrate efforts in North Baton Rouge itself in a more targeted approach with other community-based trusted partners. Mm -hmm. And then for kind of other parts of Baton Rouge and surrounding areas, um, another funder is going to help us be able to focus on the same kind of air property issues in those communities.
0: Cool. That's fantastic. The collaboration that we're seeing um, among nonprofits like you all is is just really inspiring. I think it's also smarter both for those looking for ways to give and support, um, but but also to your point of drawing attention then to government partners and others who can change laws and regulations and systems so that we can, you know, again, see this be an economic opportunity for our entire community is really, really powerful. Um, another one we were talking about really off air, but the, the city court eviction resource desk. And the work that you've been doing there, maybe share some of those sort sure. of startling stats and, and what you're doing to kind of work on those issues. Sure.
1: So after COVID-19, uh, so many people couldn't work. They didn't have any income coming in. And there was this huge eviction crosses across the United States. And that definitely happened here in Louisiana, all throughout our service area. We saw this enormous spike in Baton Rouge. In fact, I just looked at the statistics, which I had to double-check like five times. But when you look at the year pre-COVID in Baton Rouge and you look at a a similar period in time of this past year, we had a 1,713% increase in the amount of people that called our offices or walked in or got us at a court help desk and asked us to help try to prevent an eviction. And I think part of that, yes, there there was a huge crisis. Um, and Baton Rouge already had one of the high, it was in the top 20 for eviction rates mm-hmm. in the country before COVID. Um, but I think part of what's happened, yes, there was the spike, but we also teamed up with the mayor's office uh, who gave us some uh, funding that they had to help respond to COVID. And they were helping pay rents. And so one of the missing links there is sometimes you need a lawyer to try to help work it out. Um, And so we teamed up with them and we started getting a lot of referrals. We were able to do a lot of outreach with the six different courts in East Baton Rouge Parish. There's the city court, but there's five justices of the peace that also do evictions. And so we were able to get the word out. And I think a lot of it is getting to the right people who then know how to refer people for services. So we are now in, it took a little while because of COVID and some other things, but we finally got into Baton Rouge City Court where we have an eviction desk staffed four days a week. And we are really excited about that because um, sometimes You know, it's really on-demand services. You know, there's somebody there. Somebody walks in with an eviction. Maybe they didn't hear about us. Maybe they're trying to pay the rent, work out a plan, just get more time to stabilize their family. And so we have been on-site with the court since October uh, we're planning to continue that on into the new year and um, leverage some pro bono attorneys to help us out, um, working with Martinet Society and Baton Rouge Bar in 2023. So we're really excited about that project and, as well.
0: And, and how is this this project also beneficial for for landlords? I mean, it's it's not just you know to help those that maybe are being evicted, but it also can create well, more uh, opportunity for our landlords, right?
1: Definitely. I think I think also, you know, contrary to what some people may believe, uh, nobody wants to evict anybody, typically. Right. And um, most of the time, it's about the rent, not always. And a lot of landlords know, if I take the rent, I'm not going to be able to evict this person, or if I agree to take part of the rent, I'll have to start over. And so... Even though we are there on behalf of the tenant, we can explain the process to the landlord if we can come up with a consent agreement and maybe come up with a win-win situation where we're going to work out a payment plan or we're going to work out more time um, or we're going to help kind of if if something has kind of hit a snag with processing a rental assistance application. Sometimes we're able to to unsnag that. Um, So it can end up being... A good solution because it's very expensive to yep. re-rent housing. You know, it's probably several thousand dollars Once somebody moves out. Then you're going to lose your rent for a little while while you do some, you know, minor fix up or whatever. And it, it's a lost revenue source for landlords too.
0: I'm just again amazed that since 2018, you've impacted 25,000 lives throughout Southeast Louisiana. It clearly more than that, it, it, well, I would say. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but clearly, clearly,
0: just from from the specifics you're tracking, but but to your point, I mean, it, it's just an incredible need that has now built up, not only because of the disasters we faced, the pandemic. Now we we are grateful to have leaders like you in our community, and, and I wonder for for people listening in that would want to get involved or want to find a way that they could help um, with the work you're doing. What, what what advice would you give them?
1: Well, it is Giving Tuesday. <laughs>
0: We so, may not be airing so, Giving so, Tuesday. Uh, well, today, Tuesday today
1: <laughs> any Tuesday or Monday through Friday uh, is an opportunity to give. So, whether you're, you know, whether you're listening to this and you're thinking, "Hey, I might want to volunteer," I'm an attorney, I'm a paralegal, I'm a student. Certainly, you can give us a call here in Baton Rouge at one two two five four four eight zero zero eight zero if you're thinking i might want to talk to somebody about a legal issue that i am facing that number on our hotline is one eight four four two four four seventy eight seventy one and the reason why i specifically said it's definitely more than 25,000 lives is because another thing covid taught us is that people can access our services in lots of different ways. And one of the things we started doing was Facebook Lives mm-hmm. and doing a lot more informational resources because people were trapped in their houses, and so were we. And we really wanted to help. And there and people needed so much help and reliable information. So we started doing these Facebook Lives and developing more blog resources at www.slls.org. And in the 2020 year, we had 725,000 unique viewers look at legal information we created. We were like, who cares what legal aid has to say? But apparently we had news people could use. It definitely went down in 2021 and 2022. It's more like 235,000 this year. But that's still a lot of folks, whether you're low income or not. If you just kind of want to know some more information, you're just looking for basic info, there's some real easily digestible question and answer things and uh, other hot topics that folks can take a look at uh, that could hopefully be helpful information.
0: Well, it's an incredible asset for our community. We're grateful for you for being here and and being a leader of that. Uh, Laura, thank you so much again for joining us in this episode of The Pod. Thank you. For more information about Southeast Louisiana Legal Services, please visit slls.org to learn more about their mission and ways you can help. As always, thanks for listening in. I'm your host, Chris Meyer, and our mission is to elevate the stories, people, and ideas making Baton Rouge and Louisiana a better place. To learn more about the Baton Rouge Area Foundation, please visit our website at braff.org and become a member today.